Hello and welcome into the KE Report. Shad and Corey here talking today with Michael Oliver, founder of Momentum Structural Analysis and someone that we have a lot of time for because he looks at the markets differently, not just through the price action on the charts, but he uses some proprietary momentum action on the charts to get a sense of the trend and direction in a number of markets. And Michael, we're going to go around the horn today and look at a couple different commodity sectors. But we wanted to start off today with what you're seeing in the U.S. equities, because a lot of people feel that everything's been traveling together and in tandem lately. But really, historically, when you see moves in the precious metal sector, which is a big focus on this show, they're typically converse to what you see in the general equity markets Maybe break down that concept for people and what you're seeing in the charts of the U.S. equities to start us off. Well, the U.S. stock market, a lot of people recognize this, is very narrow right now. So when they say the stock market's making new highs, new highs, new highs, it is really five stocks or seven stocks. They call it the Magnificent Seven. They lost one of them recently. That's Tesla. <laughs> and uh, Apple's not behaving all that well either. Frankly, it's uh, been fumbling around for months now. But we're focused on the leadership because they're the heavily weighted components of the S&P and the NASDAQ such that about five of those symbols are you know, a huge percent of the S&P and NASDAQ to the point where the rest of the stocks and in in those indexes almost don't even matter. Okay. Well, those stocks are highly favored by investors, especially new and young investors who are chasing the bull market. And they're feeling good because, you know, after, after all the last year, we've gone up nicely, gone back to the highs in the S&P and the NASDAQ 100 and nipped out the highs. We're now handful of percent above the 2021 or 22 highs, depending on the index. So they're feeling good, but it is very narrow. And so what we're arguing is if you want to watch the stock market, don't delude yourself into some broad notion. Instead, I would focus on Apple, Microsoft, NDX, especially the NASDAQ 100, and watch those because when those start to break in a credible manner, and we have different ways of judging that than, than you do with a price chart, it's over. And other sectors that have been trying to play the game, and there's very few, by the way, that have been making new highs. Industrials, not Dow Industrial, but the industrial sector made marginal new highs, in a sense, sort of wobble around. And healthcare finally, after two years of sideways, managed to punch out its highs by a couple of percentage points, which it needed to do if it was going to top in our assessment. But really, when you look at most sectors, consumer discretionary, retail, everybody says retail is strong. Well, look at the retail XRT ETF. Most sectors are not near the 2022 highs. And that ex expresses the narrowness of the indices that are above the 22 device. So we think it's a vulnerable situation. We don't trust the advance. And we think you should look at some narrow symbols to define when does that rollover begin. So, Michael, this is interesting because last year we were also hearing about the narrow breadth of the markets. And we've recently had some guests on that said market breadth was even more narrow last year. But then what we saw was a bit of a rotation into other sectors that broadened breadth out. And then mm -hmm. we're back into this narrow breadth, but we're also back at all time highs. So is there a chance that we get a little bit of distribution, maybe a little bit of weakness in the bigger names into some of the lagging sectors? No, I think the uh, lagging sectors are lagging for a reason. That is, they, they don't have the wherewithal to go make a new high. That Basically, they did peak. Now, MSA put out a major exit signal 
based on annual momentum of the NASDAQ 100 in January 2022, a couple of months after it peaked in, I think it was November of 2021. And in February of 2022, we put out a major exit for the S&P. Then they had their drop, we all know, into October of 2022. Pretty serious drop. And since then, they have ratcheted their way higher and, and recently sort of exploded, especially since December. It was the Fed minutes meeting. Uh, but you've got to go back and look at prior major market tops. It takes us back. We've been around 32 years. Back at the 2000 top, which was the dot-com bubble, which was got fairly narrow at the top, by the way, in terms of what's leading this market. And you got to remember, too, it was fully justified because back then, if you recall, the Internet folks, the dot-com folks were saying, this is going to change the world. And you know what? They were dead right. In fact, they were they understated how major it would be for the world economy, for people and so forth. And yet it collapsed 82 percent after that 2000 top. NASDAQ 100 did to its 2002 low. And then in 2007, Late 2006, MSA put out a report, December, last report of that year, and said, we're going to top next year. And we put out a zone where we thought it would top in, 1550 to 1600 zone. And sure enough, it went up into 2007, not, not way beyond the 2006 highs, but then started building this laborious action where you'd get nice ups and then, oh, you get disappointing downs. And you go back up and you come back down. And later in that year, the summer, September, August, September, October of 2007, the S&P was still robust. But if you looked at things like the financial sector, the banks, real estate, they were in collapse mode. They didn't even look like they were part of the same universe as the S&P. And yet the S&P ignored it. And the Fed cut rates in September 17th, 2007 by half a basis point. They'd already been raising rates for several years prior to that. They cut rates in September and stated, oh, nothing's wrong with anything. We'll just cut it, uh, whatever. Anyway, everybody believed there's not going to be a real estate crisis. Well, you shot up for another about six weeks into October. And so in other words, if you bought that Fed rate cut thinking, oh boy, easy money, you bought the top. And sure enough, the October high, that was it. And you rolled over. And at that point, gold and T-bonds took off to the upside. But I think we're in the same situation now where you've had a laborious, very wide topping pattern. And two years after the fact, you finally come up and made a new high in a few indices, S&P and NASDAQ. And I wouldn't trust the new high any more than I would in 2000 when you made a new high in the summer of 2000. We said get out in January. You've made a new high in, in August. And similarly, in 2007, it made that brief new high in October taking out the flat highs that had preceded it, and then aborted. So if you looked at the price charts back then, you say, oh, this is stabilized now. It just broke out. It's good for a whole other leg. It wasn't. That was the top. We think it's a similar situation now. Beware. Well, Michael, when you say that, I think this would be a good spot for you to address how you look at momentum in correlation to price and not just price action, because a lot of generalist investors are seeing the Dow and NASDAQ and S&P indexes moving to new highs, granted on the narrow breath you mentioned, but they are feeling pretty good. And the price action has them encouraged that it's going to keep running as well as a little bit of the market breath, like the healthcare you mentioned starting to mm -hmm. run, insurance is starting to run, industrials are starting to run. Maybe break down how your momentum analysis works versus just the pricing and why you think a corrective move in the markets would be good for the precious metals. 
Yeah, I don't think it'll be a corrective move, by the way, once it gets going. But anyway, I think it'd be a bear market of huge proportions. Anyway, the momentum that we use, here's, instead, when you look at a price chart, you see a market that's going up in, in incremental stages and suddenly it bursts and you think, oh, it's got momentum. Well, quite often that's not the case. When you study the momentum action of price measured versus certain long-term moving averages, and I don't mean just overlaying an average on a price chart and it gets above it or below it. That's meaningless to us. Instead, we oscillate price in relationship to an average. For example, let's say you got a 36-month moving average, which is like a three-year average that shifts every month just a little bit. You know, you adjust it. You plot the S&P's high, low, and close this month, let's say, and where is it, above that average or below it? So you put it on an oscillator. And as you plot this thing underneath your price chart, you plot a momentum chart, you'll quite often see sometimes they're in sync, in which the price will be moving into a new high and momentum will say, yep, I'm with you. Or usually momentum will actually lead price in terms of breakouts. And then there'll be times when price is beating its chest, especially late in a bull trend, and momentum is choking. It doesn't look at all like price. That's a warning. And usually momentum wins the game. This was the case in 2000. This was the case in 2007 with the new price highs that occurred after we declared topping action were false. They were teasers. That's what we're getting now, I think. And uh, we also measure price on a closer up basis, for instance, to measure uh, the weekly action versus a three-week average and so forth. So it depends on your perspective. But we like to keep a pretty long-term perspective. And then we focus in on the on the near term when we think there's something pivotal about to happen. Because it'll usually be revealed. It's like snapping a small bone before you break the big bone. And so right now, our, we're intensely focused on NASDAQ 100 and certain of the key symbols based on their weekly momentum, such as what's their price action oscillating versus the three-week? How is the momentum chart looking versus a 10-week average? And we see them set up enough right now where they basically can't sneeze. If we see any stalling and even a minor downturn in price, you're going to start breaking some of these metrics where momentum says, okay, I just broke my backbone. And at that point, usually ahead of price, you'll see price start to follow momentum down. So momentum tells us right now, be highly suspicious of what you think is momentum when you look at a price chart, because it isn't. All right, let's move it over to the precious metals then, because look, I think the momentum in the precious metals has probably been fairly flat, but we have gold up close to all-time highs, along with the markets at all-time highs. It's a very curious situation here in terms of the gold chart and what you're seeing in your momentum indicators. Where do you think gold goes? Much, much higher. But I think right now what's going on, there's a good correlation right now, a synchronous correlation between T-bonds, or you can look at TLT, the ETF for long-term bonds, and gold. Uh, in fact, go back to October of uh, 2022, and you can see a pretty good correlation as well. So, for example, they rallied from the October low 2022 T-bonds did in gold. Gold was down 1600 area. It shot back up nicely. And they both peaked early in the year, 2023, and then they spent between March of 2023 and October of 2023 pulling back. On the case of T-bonds, it was an implosion pullback. It was very sharp. In fact, it took out the prior year's low of 2022, meaning yields went to a new high. This panicked the Fed. There's no doubt about it. 
The Fed controls shorter term rates, but they don't have great control over the long term debt market. And therefore, when it got out of hand and went into what we call the nuke situation on the downside, I think that put a chill up their backbones. And we're talking like August, September, October of last year when we were collapsing the bonds. During that same time, gold was under pressure, but it was no way collapsing. It was oozing down, got down into the uh, 1820s, I think, after having revisited its highs above 2000 early in the year. And then it exploded out of the hole, gold did, in October. And a month later, T-bonds exploded in November of 2023. So they got back in sync again and rallied. But what happened in December of last year is very interesting. That's when the Fed minutes came out and basically said, we're through cutting rates. We're through raising rates. Now, they didn't specify when they were going to cut, but they did hose down any more argument about uh, they're going to raise rates more. No, they effectively said that's over with. So the stock market thought, oh, boy, party time. which is as good as a rate cut almost because they've been under such rate dominance for a year or so. So the stock market rallied from mid-December up through the present. But you look at a gold chart, go back to early mid-December and look at a T-bond chart early mid-December and you'll see they both pull back together. They've had a pullback. Gold's had a not a sharp drop, but it's dropped back into the lower 2000s, the 2020, 2030 area, and basically gone sideways since that December high after having dropped from it. Whereas T-bonds have now pulled back and to levels that we think are probably support. But meanwhile, the stock market's been going up. So we suggest that as you watch the stock market, even if you're not in it, it is a very good inverse indicator to what is likely to happen next on T-bonds and gold, which we think is an upturn, a resumed upturn. So we think there's a good correlation there, either inverse or in sync. And T-bonds and gold look like they're pretty much in sync now. But what does that say about portfolio managers? There's a lot of them out there who recognize, and but have to be in the market because they're fighting with their peers to maintain good performance. Even though they don't like the market because they know it's exceptionally narrow, they have to be there. So they're in it. But they probably have very gentle fingertips. And when they start to see some evidence of the stock market breaking, those asset managers who basically been forced to join the party will quickly exit. Where are they going to go? I think they're going to go back into the bond market again, and I think they're going to go into gold. Now, a lot of them have already moved pretty heavily into gold, by the way. It's not a widely talked about subject, but I know of some major funds that have moved significant percentages into gold or gold-related. Uh, and they're being bored to death right now, but they're not being hurt. But anyway, watch the stock market, because when it wobbles, I think the gold and T-bonds are going to regenerate the upside. And this is exactly what happened in 2000, 2001, when the market topped. Market topped, cut rates in January 2001. The Fed did first rate cut in years. Market started to collapse. 2007, October, they'd cut rates. You'd had a rally into October. As soon as the stock market started to roll over from that high, T-bonds and gold went vertical, opposite the stock market. I think we've got the same situation now. So those two markets, alternative categories for a portfolio manager, are waiting for the wobble in the stock market. Well, Michael, a lot of people listening will wonder, will some of those fund managers, when the general equities wobble, also find the gold stocks? Because if you look at gold stocks in comparison to the gold price, I'd like to get your thoughts on the disconnect there and, and whether there's some of that action in gold moving to the upside will filter down into the gold equities. Sure. The gold market, the gold mining stocks, in my view, are the lowest valuation ever in history. 
<laughs> relative to the degradation of the money you, you measure them by. They're lowest they've ever been in relation to the stock market. They were in 2015, they made a low spread reading, a relative performance reading to gold, lowest I've ever seen. Now, since 2015, let's take GDX, for example, the Van Eck Gold Miners ETF, which contains some silver miners, made a low in early 16, a month or so after gold made its low in December of 15. They both went up sharply into 2016, waddled around for a year or so, well off the lows. And then by 2020, at that surge high, GDX, which had been down to a low of 12 in the 2015 low, was trading at 46. You do the math. Gold, meanwhile, reached a price level that was double what its bear low was. So as of the summer rally in 2020, the miners vastly had beat gold measured versus their 2015 lows. So they had a much bigger percent gain. But since that summer high in August of 2020, the spread relationship, the performance of gold miners relative to gold has legged its way downward persistently. There have been some rallies of the relative performance, but basically you've been in a downward pattern such that now if you look at GDX, instead of being way, way ahead of gold, is now on par with gold in terms of where is it in relation to the 2015 low. Right now, GDX is a bit more than twice the price it was at the 2015 low. Gold is just a bit less than double where it was at the 2015 low. So yes, the miners have underperformed. But when you go back to 2015, they're still equal to gold in terms of how far off that bare low are you. But it's the last three years that have upset people because a lot of people bought late into the miners. They probably bought, well, gold was hitting 2000 or something for the first time. They were buying GDX in the 40s. And now it's in the you know upper 20s. So they've been hurt. Meanwhile, gold is where? 2000 plus. So it really hasn't been hurt so bad. So it's a relative performance issue. That can change. We measure that via spread relationship between the gold miners and gold. We plot the chart technically. We even run momentum on it. And right now it has a situation that looks like a pending upside breakout, but it's going to require a bit on the part of the gold miners relative to gold. So if we see, for example, over the next three, four or five weeks, the GDX gains a percent or more than gold does, that spread's going to shift back to the upside, meaning it will signal that we're in for another phase of gold mining outperforming the mother metal. Right now, that's not the case, but it looks like it's a ripe situation. And this is what happened back in prior bull markets in gold. There were times when miners vastly beat gold for a year or so during the bull market, and then they'd underperform again, and then they'd burst again. So it's a breathing pattern. But right now, I think we're at the very depths of a performance for the miners relative to gold. And the issue is, when do they turn up? Because when they do, it could be fairly explosive. Another thought, a lot of asset managers won't buy bullion, won't buy silver ETFs or gold ETFs, but they will buy big gold miners. So if the stock market starts to get shaky, and they've been going up while the miners have been going down, so don't compare the gold miners to the stock market. They're inverse. There could be a money flow into that cheap sector. And given the small size of the gold mining sector, gold and silver mining sector, relative to almost any sector out there, any money flow that exits the stock market and might choose to go into the cheap miners, viewing it as a low risk category, 
could be like a wet bar of soap being squeezed. So it's something to pay close attention to. Yeah, very interesting, Mike. Uh, just for a little clarification, then, is it fair to say that you think the gold stocks could lead the next leg higher? Because we have had mm -hmm. some commentators on our show saying that we need that gold breakout, 22, 2300, and that yeah. would draw the interest into the stock. I think it, right now we've got some long-term metrics on gold. First off, most of our long-term metrics like annual momentum turned positive in 2016. And frankly, nothing has changed that since. So it's still in a bull trend. Remember, gold bull trends can last a decade. There's a level above 2100. Now we've been above 2100 already briefly in that run the stops upside route we had back in early December where they got the 2100, triggered a bunch of buy stops and went up in a vacuum and then went down in a vacuum. So we've been above 2100. You get back above 2100 again in a more arm wrestling manner. That's going to engage gold in a big way. Now, we've also got a very long-term metric on GDX, 200-week momentum. That's like a four-year average. It has a trend structure on momentum that if you could see the momentum chart and draw a line like you would on a price chart, you've got like a four-point downtrend line, so beautifully carved. When you go look at the GDX itself, you don't see the same line. But on this oscillator, you do. And right now it says you get GDX back up to about 3070. Okay, now that's about three points above where you are now. Now, you know, GDX can move that fast. It's not a big deal for GDX. And 3070 in price for GDX is still below the rally high we saw several months ago, up to 33. But you get back over 3070 again, and you're going to break out on this long-term momentum chart. So I suggest that, no, I don't think you have to wait to see gold at 2200, 2300 before the gold miners wake up. I suspect they're going to wake up at about the same time here. So we get gold back over 2100, you get those miners up over 30 again. I think they're going to start to surge. And for a period of time, it may be only several quarters, uh, not necessarily the whole rest of the bull market. I think the miners will goose to the upside. One, because they're undervalued, and two, because they have the technical wherewithal to do that. Well, Michael, just as we wrap up here, Maybe just open it up to you for some quick comments on anything else in the commodities and resource space that has your attention. You know, we've got people making note of the energy sector. It's mm -hmm. kind of a, a tale of multiple things where uranium is breaking out to new highs, oil stuck in a range, and that gas continues to dive down as the widow maker. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned grains. Is there anything else in the commodity space you want to wrap us up with? I think the two big, the, the big leader in that first annual momentum breakout surge we had in GDX, and we got bullish in October 2020. Bloomberg Commodity Index then was uh, trading either side of 70. Okay, It doubled between then and the onset of the Ukraine-Russia war. It peaked one month after that war began. The commodity, this is energy-led that sector. You can't blame it on the war because basically all the move had occurred prior to the war. Okay, But since the 2022 highs in March or so of 2022, most commodities have retreated. Bloomberg has retreated down to either side of 100 in fact, right now, Bloomberg is trading where it was slightly higher than its low was back in May of 2023. So it really hasn't gone down anymore. It's just been sideways. We've got the same type of action out of oil, for example. It's been trading 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 60s, 70s, 80s, sort of a range bound. Don't touch uranium. We got bullish under 20. Yeah, you know, it's way too late to be chasing that market. I think uh, heating oil is overdone. It'll, it'll, lift back up in the twos and threes again. I'm not too excited about it right now. 
But the grains are the ones that look like they could lead the next up leg in commodities, whereas energy led the first leg in terms of performance. I think the watch wheat, corn, and beans. They've got some great looking momentum structures that tell us that the next upturn they get could be more potent in percent terms than would be an upturn in energy again. So I don't think most people are watching the grains, but of course, if that happened, that hurts people in the pocketbooks because it affects all kinds of foods. But I'd be watching wheat, corn, and beans, and uh, they would have likely have a heavy impact on the Bloomberg. All right, Michael, there's a different market for us to pay attention to as well. Very interesting chatting with you. Again, Michael Oliver, founder, chief analyst at Momentum Structural Analysis. Follow Michael on his website, olivermsa.com. Michael, thank you again for your time. We'll chat again next month. Thank you, Shad and Corey. Bye-bye.